This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose. Well, here we are again. You're going to wow me with tech. We started with Apple or Amazon this week. Well, neither this week. Last week, last week, we talked about the fact that nobody knows where the wheeled suitcases came from. Well, yes, I mean, you sort of know where they come from now. But yeah, where where did they appear from? Well, I will tell you. Oh, I will tell you. Yes. Uh, Wheeled suitcases started with a portable porter in the 1940s, which is a strap-on device that you would attach to your suitcase. Right. Which worked for a while until a woman in Leicestershire Mm-hmm. wrote to her local paper in 1967 complaining that a bus conductor had charged her an extra ticket because he defined the strap-on thing as a pushchair. <laughs> <laughs> I think I vaguely remember things that you could mm. attach to your suitcase that you would... Yes, I vaguely remember they would sort of fold it up, the ones I remember, sort That's of folded right. up, but still you had to do something with them. Yes. You had to do something with them. Yes. Well, the problem turns out to be one of gender in that men being macho, Yes. Uh, saw them wouldn't dream of being seen with uh, anything on wheels, and in the days when women would very rarely travel alone, mm. the men would carry the suitcases and demonstrate yes. their yes. enhanced Manulous. strength. Yes, yes. Mm. Well, well, there weren't in, many um, many mammoths to kill back then, were there? There weren't. No. <laughs> in uh, nineteen seventy two, um, the uh, chairman of uh, U.S. luggage invented a chap called Bernard Sado, patented a wheeled suitcase. Mm. And it didn't really take off because it was quite clumsy. It wasn't until uh, a pilot called Robert Plath turned uh, Sado's suitcase on its side, made it smaller and added a telescopic handle, thus inventing the first cabin bag. When was that? Yes, I thought you were going to ask me that. I didn't write it down. I don't oh, know. Okay. In the, I think about 1984, thereabouts. Okay. But it I turns out right. yeah. there was a much earlier one. A Polish painter called Alfred Kruper, who was both a painter and an inventor. He, um, uh, he also designed uh, skis for walking on water. With right. little ski poles with inflatable ends to them. He designed a glass bottom boat and a folding catamaran. And when he wasn't doing that, he taught shooting and fencing. So oh, he sounds track. like our sort of inventor, doesn't he? He absolutely does. And there was a photograph of him from 1954 hmm. wheeling a wheel on suitcase. Oh, how fantastic. It's good, isn't it? That's yes. I hope he didn't have to travel on the bus because goodness knows what he'd be charged. Sure. Well, he didn't tell anyone about it. So he didn't market it. So there we go. 1954 was the real invention. Yeah. 1972, the uh, Bernard Sado, slightly unusual one, and unusable. And then Robert Plath for the, the cabin bag. They presumably so not patented, because you know. I, I don't imagine everybody who manufactures oh, suitcases is paying. Bernard it. Sado did patent it in 1972. Right. The patent was for some reason overturned in 1974, which meant anyone could start making them. Oh, how disappointing. Yes. 
I bet he was annoyed. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Hmm. Oh, well, intriguing, because it does feel about sort of 30 years or so since they first appeared. The first one seemed, to be, from what I remember, to be quite clunky. I was quite a hmm. late adopter because they didn't seem, it seemed to me as if a significant part of your package um, uh, space was taken up with the wheel array. Yes. Then they made the wheels smaller. Yes. <laughs> Which, frankly, yes. is kind of obvious. But yes. there we go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, that's evolved. fascinating. I'm, hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm quite brief. Finally, something of interest. How many shows have we been doing? <laughs> that's unfair. That's unfair. Let us move on to the Hexa yes. eVTOL plane, which is an electric vertical takeoff and landing plane. Right. It's more like a helicopter, really. So it takes one person, yes. and it has a whole array of rotors on the top, above mm. head height, you'll be glad to hear. And they reckon that it will be legal, I hope, in New York from 2025. The only right. catch being you have to pilot it yourself. Wow. Well, okay. I, mean, I don't see that as a catch, personally. I think that's a major bonus. Uh, apparently, less than an hour on a VR simulator will give you the chance to drive one. And because they are 196 kilograms, they're classified as ultralight aircraft, which you don't need a pilot's license for. And they will give you between 8 and 15 minutes of sightseeing. They're geofenced to stop you flying into air, the wrong airspace. Mm. The uh, chief executive of Charm Aviation described it as like Segway tours, but in the air. Which I suppose makes kind so of sense. ultimately doomed. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, uh, yes. well, you've always liked the Segway. I've always loved Segways. I yeah, mean, if I'm I could do it in the air, so much the better. No pricing yet. We will find out mm. near the time. I 196 gram, uh, kilograms in weight mm. until... The average American gets into it. Yes. Presumably yes. they've thought of that. I imagine they have, <laughs> yes. I have seen okay. it in flight with, mm. uh, with a non-average American, a very a sort of slimline version mm. of the average American. It seemed to take off okay, hovered a few feet above the ground. A few feet? So, That's not much sight. Well, See, I got a stepladder for that. This was the first ever demo oh, okay. flight from two years ago. I think that they've got better since then. Okay. Let us move on, though, to the Alpha Neo. What is the Alpha Neo? I hear you. Well, you didn't ask, but I'm going to ask for you. What is the Alpha ask. Neo? I, no. I'm given, given the sort of names that these products often have, it could be absolutely anything. It is a commuter bike. It's a commuter bike with a 90-mile range, mm. two minutes to top it up, to recharge it. What? Which is pretty good going. Now, it does cost 5,690 euros on pre-order, so it ain't mm. cheap. Mm. The reason, it was about 5,000 pounds, the reason it can be topped up so quickly is it because it runs a hydrogen fuel cell rather than a lithium battery. So you is can that just... the first use of hydrogen fuel cells for something any of us can actually use? No, it's not. Oh, because okay. the first... Proper use is came from the Hyperion XP1. Now the Hyperion oh. XP1 is an electric supercar, but it is a hydrogen-based supercar. And I recommend that you Google it right now, Hyperion XP1, just to have oh, a look quite. at it because it is the most gorgeous looking thing. It looks like something from the most outlandish science fiction movie. 
It doesn't look like a real car. Absolutely beautiful. So why haven't I seen one of these around? Oh, well, there is a slight problem with hydrogen-powered vehicles. Do you know how many hydrogen filling stations there are in the UK? Well, you well despite the fact that I once saw on Top Gear, which must be about 10 years ago, them drawing into a hydrogen filling station and having a hydrogen car, which, of course, being Top Gear, they weren't terribly keen on, um, mm. I'd be willing to bet next to zero, uh, half a dozen. There are 14. None oh, of them no, no, no. are in London. The nearest one to London is in Kingston. And that's right. what's really hampered hydrogen hydrogen fuel cells, which is a great shame. So what Hyperion are doing hmm. is they are building mobile fuel stops. So rather than, uh, as Tesla did, putting in this huge infrastructure, hmm. they have produced, well, it's a kind of oversized caravan, but it looks like a beached yacht. It is absolutely gorgeous. It is just but how like do you know where it's going to be? Well, the idea is they will take it to, for example, uh, shopping mall car parks, mm. to uh, spare spaces and other petrol stations. If there's not enough demand, then they'll move it somewhere else, presumably hitched up so to the, one of their cars to yeah, drag it. Well, yeah. So, and you can't drag it yourself in your own car, which would be very useful. Um, no. <laughs> so you've got to use an app to find out where it is. And then if you get there too late and they've already decided to move, you've got to chase it to the next place and have to have exactly. enough fuel. <laughs> chase it down on the motorway saying, oi, oi, stop. It's range anxiety. This is making it... It is, isn't it? Yes. Well, this is launching in the US next year, and they're going to be start rolling it out. But if it's a success, then they move it out here. Of course, the Hyperion XP1 electric supercar is not a cheap beast by any means. So yeah. you might want to think twice about ordering yeah. it. Well, you get the Alpha Neo computer bike instead. A two-minute charge, though. I mean, that's pretty good with a 90. I mean, all you need then is a plug and you plug it in. So how come, or presumably, is it, or is it a plug and you plug it in? Or do you have to, how, where do you get your hydrogen from for the bike? Uh, well, exactly. You would have but to the get the bike's from... the same problem for the bicycle? Yes, yes. Oh, oh I the see. Same problem. I just checked. The Hyperion XP1 costs between 2 and $3 million. Quite a lot, given that you can't actually Quite take it lot, anywhere. <laughs> given that you can't take it anywhere, but it, it will look gorgeous sitting outside your mansion. Well, you can probably get the shell... For much less. I mean, given that it doesn't drive anywhere, can't you just ask for the the body without anything inside and just plonk it in your driveway? Or put it onside an old Mini. That's what they usually use for uh, pit car <laughs> conversions. <laughs> I doubt they'd sell you one. <laughs> That's probably true. Uh, time for us, though, to take a quick breather. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So you are listening to Gadget and Gizmos. I'm Simon Rose. He's Steve Kaplan. If you want to listen to any more of the podcast, you can get them on all the major streaming platforms. The easiest way to find us is to put in the word Harkon. But um, Harkon to me, it has no vowels. H-R-K-N. Do a search for that and you'll find all the episodes of Gadget and Gizmos going back, well, well over a year. There are 
I think all I'm getting on for almost 400 of these altogether, aren't there now? There will be 400 early next year, yes. Mm. Well, exciting. We'll have to bake a cake. You can bake a cake. Well, I said, well, yeah, I, said, I can't. No, I can't either. I'll just have a, I'll have a drink instead. I can do that. Right. So what now? Oh, well, let's move on to an electronic nose. Okay. And How did your electronic nose smell? Durable. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if this is the, the result of some research back in 2015 by a man called the Gianluigi Taverna, oh, that's a good who name. discovered that uh, dogs could sniff out prostate cancer by smelling oh, I people's don't think, I don't think I'd want a dog that was trying to do no, that. No. They don't, <laughs> they do don't they, do it in do quite they, as they, obtrusive way as you're thinking. they rubber on their noses? A little bit of rubber first. <laughs> it is slightly as obtrusive than that. They, they sniff your urine. Oh. oh. Anyway, so okay. he has um, been working on producing an electronic dog mm. or other, an electronic nose, Yes. which will do the same job as the dog. It's not really a gadget, but the only reason I'm mentioning it is because of the name. They've called it the Diagnose. Oh, that's fantastic. It's good, isn't it? That I is, yes. I yep, don't always prove of puns. So I suppose it's a pun, but that's brilliant. It's a good pun, yes. Yes, it's very good. No, it is a gadget. If it's an electronic nose, it's a gadget. It's a gadget. Of course it is. Yes. But no LEDs in it. Oh, there probably are LEDs, almost certainly. Well, oddly and enough, wifey. I don't think LEDs feature very often these days. I know we used to joke that you know you liked anything that's got LEDs mm. in, and I recently, just in case of power port, power cuts, have bought some rechargeable LED torches. Um, but there, there's not much LED stuff these days. Clearly, it's the technology of yesterday, or indeed everybody's got got everything they already need with LEDs in. Well, lots, lots of things have LEDs built in. They just don't boast mm. about them anymore. Mm. Hmm. Anyway, let's move on um, to more sniffing unpleasant things. Yes. Uh, cholera. When there is cholera, it's right. important to identify an outbreak quickly so that preventative measures can be taken, mm. remedial measures. The Georgia Institute of Technology have come up with a toilet sensor that they put in toilets where there are likely to be cholera outbreaks mm. that listens or the sound of diarrhoea. It's been trained with various excretion events, as they call them. Oh, uh, it's, a, it's all anonymized, so it's not, you know, not categorizing you personally. <laughs> and if it detects a high volume of, yes. uh, of said noxious substance, then it alerts the authorities and they can go and see if there is indeed cholera there. But there are many causes of diarrhoea rather than cholera, aren't there? Or many... Yeah, plenty of There are, but if lots of people in the same area seem oh, to Oh, I have see. It, then, Either um, that or the local chippy that. needs a visit from the health authorities, yes. <laughs> well, even so, that would be a good yeah. thing to do. Well, true. I, yes. I agree, yes. Got, you can't even basically sit on the loo now without somebody spying on you. You can't. And from harmful cholera to harmful bacteria on food, what can you do about them? Well, you can spray them with antibiotics, but it's generally agreed, except in America, that that's a bad thing mm. to do to food because it lowers people's tolerance for mm. antibiotics. Well, the clever people at McMaster University in Canada have mm. come up with a way of spraying the food with a virus. Now, you might right. think that's not a very good idea. It's a microgel which contains bacteriophages, bacteriophages which can be programmed to kill or eat particular kinds of bacteria. And in their tests, it eradicated E. coli on lettuce and meat within nine days. 
They mm. say it can also eradicate salmonella and listeria, and it can also perhaps be used to treat infested wounds. So I think that's a rather good thing. That seems very impressive. It does, yes. doesn't it? Yes. Hmm. And presumably, as you mentioned, the word university, we're talking about something that's not yet available to the world. Uh, most of the things we talk about on this show are not yet available <laughs> yes, to the world. That's true. That's true. But hopefully coming to a coming to some um, rotting food near you. Exactly. Soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, yes. <laughs> okay. Let's have one of these. There are 6,000 satellites up in space, of which half of them aren't working, either because their batteries have died or because they've mm. malfunctioned or they've just served their purpose. How can you fix them? Well, you could get a repair man in, but imagine the call-out charge. Not yes. going to be cheap to get Yes, even if you can't find satellite. anything wrong with it, it's expensive. Even yes. if you can't find anything wrong with it, exactly. Yeah. So what is the answer? Well, the UK Atomic Energy Authority has been recycling or repurposing remote-controlled robots from nuclear reactors. Mm. These are the ones that go in and fix things when where people can't go into yes, nuclear reactors. Yes, yes. And they're looking at putting one of these up into, into space. They weigh 33 kilograms, which is less than half the weight of your average astronaut. Mm. So not vastly expensive to get up there. I mean, they, they reckon it's something like $10 million per pound or something to get things in space. Um, but once it's up there, it can zip around, doesn't need to be fed, doesn't need to be played music from home, doesn't mm -hmm. need to have any oxygen, and it can just trawl around and fix the uh, the satellite it comes to. It, I, surely getting alongside a satellite is staggering. I mean, we know from watching the resupply of the International Space Station, staggeringly complicated. Wouldn't it just be easier to grab them and repair them on the ground and put them back up? Grab a lot of them. You, how do you grab a whole load of satellites and return them to Earth safely? Well, shove them in a, a big bay. Like These will be piloted. I mean, we have a generation growing up who are trained on piloting spacecraft by remote control through their various games consoles. I, I imagine that the average nine-year-old could do it. I suppose, yes, I suppose that's probably true. Oddly enough, you talk about... Um, um, satellites getting up into to space. I was in Cornwall at the weekend, so we diverted to have a look at Newquay Airport, um, which, of course, is where Richard Branson's, I can't think what he calls it, something like um, Space Girl or something like that, but where they are, um, it's our new spaceport, where they're actually oh, yes, taking so satellites up um, into sort of low orbit, and then they're, then they're boosting from there, aren't they? They let the plane off. And you saw underneath. it? We saw the tail fin. Um, there was a rather burly security guard who was just about to tell us to turn around so we turned around before he told us to um you you can see that you can't see anything else hmm, presumably that's a shame. taking off if you hang hang around long enough well yes. you could have asked the security guard when it's taking off he wouldn't have told you of course um when, oddly enough we went on the, the website to try and see and the website obviously it was all done and it's very sort of glitzy and wonderful and there are lots of things talking about this year that were actually written last year Ah, that is One the of those problem websites. with websites. Yes. yes. Even the blog seems to be pretty yes. out of date. Well, yeah. people set yeah, up they websites have actually, and then they, they have them. actually already launched things. But yes, no, the, um, the bit telling you when the next launch is seems to be rather inactive. 
It is the problem with websites is that people set them up and then no one administers them. So I remember mm. when my wife was working at the University of Westminster mm. and she discovered that the university then, and this was back in the 1990s, had um, over 20,000 pages on its website, yeah. uh, including a personal page for uh, one of her staff and a personal mm. page for his wife, who was an author, and mm -hmm. a personal page for his wife's dog. Because when there is no webmaster, then people just build whatever the pages they want. <laughs> anyway, moving on. I hope on. she sorted that out. Okay. I wasn't going to mention him this week, but it's Elon Musk, and I'm sorry about that. Okay. He, through his health company, Neuralink, is building a brain chip, which will be implanted in your brain. Well, not your brain, but possibly in Elon Musk's brain. He said that he wants one. Yes. The idea, he claims that it will uh, restore vision, it will restore full body functionality to people with severed spinal cords, and it will cure all manner of ills. It's a bit like snake oil. It'll just clear, cure <laughs> absolutely everything. The trouble, the trouble is, either if he'd sort of, if I'd heard him talking about Tesla cars before he actually did it, I assumed he was talking through the top of his head. But he does mm. seem to get some things done. He does, doesn't he? He did say they, he, they, they've been criticised recently, haven't they, for animal cruelty? Because they appear, um, so it's reported that many animals at Neuralink have been experimented on and, and dispatched. So they've been I thought you were going to say something after dispatch. Was that the end of no, the no, I didn't. I'm trying to think of a sort of euphemistic um, <laughs> word instead of killed. You said it now. Oh, we let the cat true. out of the bag, killed. Oh, well, well but then, they, perhaps they didn't let the cat out of the bag. I don't know what people, they were doing with cats and monkeys. People monkey use animals in labs always I know, I know, end up I killing know, them. I know. Hmm. Anyway, he, Elon Musk has said, we want to be extremely careful and certain that it will work well before putting the device into a human. So I suppose that's vaguely encouraging, isn't it? But he doesn't yes. want to kill us all just yet. He's he going to try it first? He's not going to try it first, but he does say he, he, said he does want one. Presumably not to cure his uh, blindness or his spinal injury, but just so he could, I don't know, see what it can do for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who knows? Who knows? Who knows, right. indeed. So, and let's move on to Apple, who are extending the right to repair to the UK. There you go. That's something that's happening pretty much imminently. So, it's something you can get now. Mm -hmm. So, for decades, well, not for decades, but for um, two decades, just over a decade, it has been impossible to repair your mm. iPhone or your iPod yourself. You can do it, but it voids the warranty. Yes. And Apple, under a lot of pressure in the US, uh, are now saying, yes, you can do it yourself, and they will supply you with full instructions and spare parts. They will also rent you the same tool set that they use in their labs for well, £55 for a week's rental, which is... How much is the repair going to cost if well, you ask somebody if you, else to do it? If you have a modern iPhone and you want to get the screen repaired, it can cost up £300 or more. What? Mm. grief. Yes. So will you um, be renting one of these then next time your iPhone goes? I certainly won't. I will take it to a man and get it done for me because the mm. process of repairing a phone or an iPhone is... Is unbelievably complicated. You have to use heat guns to loosen seal lots and lots so of So why tiny are they doing screws. this? Because presumably a small fraction 
of the people who have iPhones will be capable of doing it, but a rather larger fraction of people will probably think they're capable of doing it and have a go and muck it up completely. Well, there you go. There's your answer then, isn't it? They'll buy a new iPhone afterwards. Oh, dear me. Yes. Well, I, except, I once, except um... they may think, Apple led me into this. I'm darned if I'm going to buy another Apple product. It won't be entirely their fault, Apple's fault, that they break it. I once tried to repair my son's iPod, which had a broken screen, mm. and I ordered a new screen that was from £11, and it came with yes. a set of spludgers, spludgers being the <laughs> plastic tools that you use yes. to, to lift it. Uh, and I went through two screens, and I just couldn't do it. And I'm pretty good with my hands. Yes. But it was so fiddly and so complicated, and there was so much that could go wrong, and it did go wrong. So I gave up in the end. So be warned. Yes, you can do it, but no, you probably can't do it. Okay. Well, if you're not going to do it, I'm certainly not going to try. Steve, no, thank you. It. Oh, and which, which so which iPhones is this going to be for? Presumably, only the latest ones. Uh, it will be from the I think the iPhone 12 or 11 mm. or 12 onwards. Right. Okay. Okay. Intriguing. All right, Steve, thank you very much indeed. That's it for this edition of Gadget and Gizmos from Steve Kaplan and myself, Simon Rose. We'll be back with more at the same time. Oh, when are we going to be talking about Christmas? People want to know about Christmas. We'll have to do something next week, won't we? Next week will be our our bonus Christmas gift guide. Don't miss it. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much yes. indeed. That's uh, see, oh, and yes, and all things, of course, that you can order that don't come through the post office because you never get it until the new year. Exactly. Right? Yeah, just that so. makes a lot of sense. Thank you very much, Steve. Is it a gadget? Is it a gizmo? No, it's gadgets and gizmos with Steve Kaplan and Simon Rose.